Welcome to Bible study. Good to see you tonight. Glad you're here. We're going to take a few moments to pray and then we'll get started and see what God has to say to us. Father, thanks for the opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus. We thank you for uh, just your love tonight. We thank you for your presence. Uh, we thank you that uh, you're here to teach, to reveal, and to speak truth into our lives. And so we yield ourselves to your voice. We ask you, God, that we would have ears to hear and an open heart and open mind to receive what you want to say and what you want to do in our lives tonight. So have your way. We pray that your power would be made manifest. And we ask God that we would respond to you. Uh, we pray change. We pray growth. We pray challenge tonight. We ask that you'd have your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let's be by saying amen. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that web page, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. It could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. It could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I need a volunteer to read verses 35, 36, and 37 of Romans 8. All right, thanks for reading that. Uh, this passage of Scripture that Paul is, uh, there's a couple things going on here. One, he's speaking about perspective, I think is the most important thing that uh, we can hear from this, is that he's giving people perspective on how to see what's going on around them. Uh, there were circumstances, varied circumstances going on in Rome at the time. Uh, these circumstances were affecting the church. They were affecting the people of God. And so he wanted them to be able to see circumstances through a different lens. Uh, we tend to look at things a certain way uh, based on whatever we're basing it on. It could be our comfort level. It could be our, our stress level. It could be our fear level. It could be a lot of different things. Uh, mostly 
just some perception that we consider to be important at the time. But he wanted them to see it uh, in a specific way when it came to their relationship with God, their relationship with each other, and how they're to view the circumstances that are going on around them. So he asked a question. He said, who, kind of interesting, who can separate us from God loving us? And then he goes through circumstances. I don't know if you noticed that in the passage. He asked the question of who, and then he goes down a whole list of circumstances. And uh, interesting to me that the question of who uh, is, is kind of important. First of all, Paul is confident in our safety in Jesus. And that word safety is a relative term. Because the, the people that he, were, he was writing to were under persecution. People he was writing to had all kinds of issues going on around them, all kinds of circumstances that were happening to them. But he was sure of their safety in Christ. And, and I think that that's part of what he wants us to understand perception-wise, is when are we safe? Are we safe uh, whenever we never feel challenged? Are we safe? when we never take a chance? Are we safe when we're never challenged to go beyond something that we've done before? I mean, is that really a definition of safety? Or is that a definition of comfort? Or a definition of slow death? Or a definition of something else? I'm not sure that that describes safety. Uh, We've grown to think of it that way. I just don't believe that is the case. And so I think that safety can take on different ways of seeing it, different ways of understanding it. But Paul's idea of safety is that his relationship with Jesus is solid. Paul's idea of safety is that nothing can come in between Jesus loving him and him. There's just nothing in between those two things. Because when this talks about the love of God, nothing can separate us from God loving us. That's the direction this is going. Uh, you think about love goes both ways. Uh, there's all kinds of things in our life that sometimes gets in the way when we're loving God. And, and that just happens. Uh, distractions happen. Uh, irritations happen. Anger happens. There's lots of things that happen in our life. It doesn't have to separate us from that. It doesn't have to interrupt our love for God. But nothing, no one can interrupt his love for us. And that's the point Paul is making is that it's solid. And so we're safe in that. We're always safe that no matter where we go, no matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances are around us, God always loves us. And we are secure in that and we're safe in that. And so that gives us a certain degree of safety. When he asks who, uh, it really it, it speaks to creature, it speaks to occasion, whatever. Who can separate us from God's love? Nobody. Nobody. Somebody look at John 10. I've got a bunch of verses for you tonight. John chapter 10, Gospel of John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. You can read that when you get to it. All right, so again, the, the question is, is being asked, well, who could snatch us out of the Father's hand? Who could separate us from the love that the Father has for us? And Jesus there in his teaching is saying, nobody. It's, you can't. 
And that's really the point of Paul's confidence in his safety is Jesus. Jesus is the main point of that. And his love for us is the main point of that. And so he's defining safety around and by the love of Jesus for him. And so I want to encourage you that maybe that's a good definition. Maybe that's a good definition of what it is to be safe, is to find ourselves in his love. Maybe that's what it is to be safe, to find ourselves in the middle of his care and his love for us and our lives. Does that mean everything's going to go our way? Well, no. In fact, you look at the apostles and you can read the stories of the apostles as they carried on the work that Jesus gave them to do and all of them faced uh, hardship, all of them faced death, uh, all of them died an unnatural death, all except for uh, the Apostle John. And so they faced a bunch of hardship and they faced a bunch of challenge. And yet Paul, as he would eventually end up in Rome toward the end of his life, found his safety in Jesus. Now, would that does that mean nothing bad will ever happen? Absolutely not. But we know that Jesus is with us. Does that mean that everything is going to make us happy in the world? No. But Jesus is with us. Does that mean that it's going to be exactly the way we planned it? No. But Jesus is with us. And so finding comfort in that and finding rest in that and finding a place of strength that Jesus is with me and loves me is, I believe, important for us if we're going to be a people that can rise above circumstance. Because the circumstances that he, he... he knocks off some circumstances here. They prove nothing. And that's his point. He's like, well, what's going to separate you from the love of God? And he names off all this stuff, uh, like trouble, or like calamity, or being persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or death, or whatever it is. All those things he listed off, all those circumstances, these possibilities of things that could happen to people, they mean nothing compared to the love of God. And they mean nothing to the love of God. In other words, if these people are going to be facing trouble, does God still love them? Absolutely. Is they going to face calamity in their life? Does God still love them? Are they under persecution? They were under persecution. Does God love them? Absolutely He loves them. What about danger or hunger or destitution? Does God still love them? The answer is yes. And so what Paul is encouraging them toward is, okay, your circumstance is your circumstance, but how do you rise above that? How do we live above circumstance and i know i'm I'm saying it and it's okay man that sounds easy it doesn't sound easy to me it sounds very difficult to me because when you start thinking about circumstance and you start thinking about the effects that circumstance have on your life how do you rise above that how do we rise above that and i'm not saying it's easy to rise above it but how does it happen well according to paul and according to the way that he was going to present this to this church was that, okay, we find our safety in the love of God in our life, and based on that, we rise above. We have to find that in Him. If you're looking for love everywhere, you find it nowhere. Very specifically, we're looking for love, we're receiving love, we're accepting love, a love that God is giving us, And by accepting that, living in it, and finding our rest and our peace and our joy in it, 
That's one of the ways that God has given us to rise above the circumstances that we find ourselves in our life. God's love, and you think about the idea that He loves us. Well, there's two things about that. Love is a feeling. And so we can feel loved because He does love us and accepting that and, and living in that. But love is also a manifestation. And, and is an action. And, and I think sometimes that we get so caught up in the emotional side of it or the feeling side of it, we forget that a major portion of what love is, is action. is actually manifestation. It has to mean something. It has to produce something. There, there has to be something that happens as a result of that. I mean, you know, I don't know if you had a crush in eighth grade or something or, or ninth grade and it was true love, but it probably wasn't true love. It, it was maybe an emotion. It was maybe a feeling, but it really probably wasn't true love. And true love means something more than that. True love means something more than just whatever that emotion is or whatever that feeling is. Uh, I, and some of you can relate to this, I think. I, I didn't grow up in a really demonstrative family. Like, in other words, like, uh, like we didn't kiss each other, you know, on the cheek or anything we greeted. <laughs> and, and I feel kind of bad because sometimes, like with Garrett, I'll shake his hand. Because <laughs> we're greeting or something, and that's just the way I grew up, right? But and he just laughs every time I shake his hand, and I don't blame him. It is kind of funny, and so then I'll hug him and stuff because we need to, you know, I, I understand I need to be more demonstrative. But I didn't grow up that way, and that wasn't how things happened or things worked. And uh, even among you know, like my grandmother or whoever else. I mean, did my grandmother love me? Yes, she loved me. How did I know that? Well, there was all kinds of clues as to her loving me. And she would tell me every now and then too. And that meant something to me. And did my grandfather love me? Yeah. Did we sit around hugging all the time? No, no. No, he wasn't that kind of guy. But... Uh, he'd take me with him when he'd go and he'd do things and, and he spent like lots of time with me and he'd show me how to do stuff and, and we were just together and we shared life together. There was a something, there was a demonstration of his love for me by the time that he spent and invested in me. And so I could see that. I could experience that. And, and I knew he loved me. I could feel it. But it was more than that. And so I just want to encourage you that, that, that there has to be certain depth. Uh, and what that I mean by depth isn't, well, I feel deep, more deeply about it, but a certain depth of love which translates into some kind of manifestation, which translates into some kind of action. And so when I say God loves us, when I say God loves me, or God loves you, and Paul is saying that, it's not only a feeling. Like, oh, I can really feel God's love today. Because maybe you can and maybe you can't. I don't know. I, I can't sit here and say I always feel God's love in my life. I can't say that. But I know He always loves me. Because that, that's, a, that's a statement of faith. And to me, that's a statement of fact. And He's demonstrated that love in enough practical ways in my life 
I mean, getting beyond the demonstration of his love through dying on the cross for me, his demonstration of his love through giving his life so that I could have life, demonstration of his love that, that by his stripes I'm healed, my physical body I'm healed, beyond those kind of things, just the, the manifestation of his love in my life and on an almost daily basis, I know he loves me. Whether I feel it today or I don't, I know he does. Whether I got that deep emotional response going or I don't have that deep emotional response going, it's still a fact that he loves me. He's shown me. He's said it to me. He's revealed it to me. And sometimes I'm overwhelmed by feeling it. So I, I just want to encourage you that there's some practice to this. There's some practice to this in that God's love. When we talk about and when Paul was talking about this, or when Jesus talks about this, when he talks about the love of the Father and the love of God in our life, there's a manifestation of that. And whether or not you choose to see it, or whether or not you choose to recognize it, or whether or not you choose to take note of it, well, that's up to you. No one's going to force you to do that. That's like when people love you in your life and sometimes you, you, you take note of it and sometimes you don't. Right? We all do that. That there's manifestations of love in our life that we're going to take note of every now and then and maybe not, maybe we don't, won't catch it every time. But it's going to happen when somebody loves us. And so when God loves us, there's a manifestation of that love whether you choose to see it or you don't. But I think it helps us to notice. I think it helps us to take note. I think it helps us to see it and, and to really receive of that even when it's not associated with some deep feeling in us. And I think that's true for God and I think that's true for the people around us. Because there's probably people around you that may or may not be the best at verbalizing stuff to you but maybe are showing that they love you in some practical ways on a pretty regular basis. And that's all right. It's all right. Because not everybody's good with words. Not everybody's got all the right words to say all the time. And sometimes it just things just happen and, and you see it and you know it. And to me, that, that speaks to me, at least the way I understand things and the way that, that, that I've chosen to see things, that speaks to me a lot. A lot more than some feeling I may or may not have. And so I take note when God's loving me. I take note when God is showing me his love through some practical, practical ways in that manifestation. So nothing, no thing, can anything separate us? No. Can, can anyone separate us? No. And some of those words there, just to give you a little richer meaning, and some of the things that he mentions here that can't separate us from God's love, Here's some of the words that are being used there. Uh, for that word trouble, the it, it, root word for that is pressure. Pressure. You know what pressure is, right? Yeah. Yeah, pressure uh, is, is stress. That's what it is. And so he's saying here is that, well, pressure, stress cannot separate you from God loving you. It also speaks of pressure from without. Uh, if you take it a little bit deeper, it's like those outside things that affect us 
in our life, can they separate us from God loving us? The answer is no. They can't. How about sickness? That's something that is implied in some of these words is that the idea of sickness. Can sickness separate us from God loving us? The answer is no. Uh, bodily evils, things that happen to us physically, can that separate us from God loving us? The answer is no. There's a word here used, uh, calamity. Calamity. It's kind of an old-fashioned word. I think it's a great word. The idea behind calamity in this passage is a, a spot where things get very narrow and you feel like you don't have room to move and you have nowhere to go. That's the, that's the root behind this. Can that separate you from God loving you? The answer is no. How do you feel in those circumstances? You might feel alone, right? You might feel like you're by yourself. You might feel like it's all up to you or whatever it would be. Well, faith needs to rise up in you in those moments. And that faith tells you that that has not separated you from God loving you. And just receive of His love. And I know we like to have the emotional side of things. It makes it easier or harder or however you want to see it. We like it. But we don't always have that. We don't always have that when things aren't going our way or when things happen and, and it feels like we're the only person around or things narrow and we feel like we don't have anywhere to go and we have no alternatives. We don't always gonna have that emotional response to the Father loving us, but He loves you nonetheless. And that might be a statement of faith today for you. But that's okay. It can be a statement of faith. As long as you're able to receive that, as long as you're able to take hold of that, you see, part of the problem with living off of emotions when it comes to God is that our circumstances change and our circumstances affect our emotions. And so God all of a sudden becomes this roller coaster of He likes me, He doesn't like me. He likes me, He doesn't like me. He likes me, He doesn't like me. When that isn't true. This is how you feel. And how you feel isn't necessarily the truth. It might be what you're thinking at the time. And it may be what it looks like at the time, and it may be what it seems like at the time, but I'll tell you what, the roller coaster of emotions gotten more people into loser situations than just about anything else. And I'm talking about loser situations. That you give up something that means something to you. You make a mistake and do something that breaks something that is important to you, or whatever it is. Emotions are powerful. And that's why there needs to be in our lives some kind of a balance to that and some kind of a counterweight to the weight that emotions carry in our lives. And one of the counterweights to that is the love of God in our life. And understanding that love, feel it or don't, as being a fact. And it's, it's, a, it's an issue of faith for us. And let it be an issue of faith. I feel it today. Awesome. I don't feel it today. It's still there. I feel really close to God today. That's great. Mark that day down. I love those days. God feels really far away. He's not. He's not. Whether you feel that or you don't feel that, it doesn't matter. He's not. He's close. He's right with you. He's loving you. Right here, right now, today. Whether you think he's far off, that's up to you, whatever. But he's not. He's right here. He's right here. 
He's right in my circumstance. He's right now loving me. Then another word there uh, is persecuted. And that word means to drive from one place to another. Alright? To, to just drive him out of town. We're going to take him from this town to that town to that town. We're just going to persecute him. In other words, we're going to drive him from one place to another. That kind of feeling of, of not having a, a place to really relax or, or to find rest. Yeah, that's tough. Does God love you when you feel like that? Absolutely. Absolutely He does. Because Paul knew there was going to be some people in Rome that were going to feel that way. Why? Because they were being persecuted. They were being driven from one place to another. Some of these people were being driven out of their homes. Some of these people were being driven from one town to another. Some of them were being driven out of Rome into the neighboring towns. I mean, these things were happening. Does God still love those people? Absolutely. Does Paul want them to know that they're still loved? Absolutely. How are they going to take hold of that? By faith. By faith. Some of the other words, hungry, destitute, in danger, even death. Some of the idea, uh, there's a word also that's alluded to in there, it's a perplexity. And, and if you've ever been perplexed, you know what I'm talking about. It's that whole idea of we don't know which way to turn. It's trouble in our mind. That's perplexity. It's not knowing where to go and which way to turn. Do you go straight? Do you avoid difficulty? Do you run through it? What do you do? And it's in those moments, and that's what Paul's describing here, does God still love you in that moment when you don't know what to do? Yes. Is God still loving all over you like, I, I, I got the best for you, even when you don't understand it? Absolutely. But you have to take hold of that by faith because you don't, you can't like think that way. Most of us, we're just perplexed. We don't know which way to go. We're looking at difficulties no matter where we turn. And so we can't make up our mind and we don't have any idea. He quotes a verse here uh, in this passage from the Psalms. And it's, it's kind of an interesting verse. Because Paul's speaking out of experience here. Like, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about, you know, hungry, destitute, and danger, death, perplexed, trouble, calamity, persecution. Well, he knows all about those things because he experiences those things. So he wasn't talking theoretically. In other words, this isn't a theory. This isn't, okay, well, theoretically, if you're in trouble, you can do A, B, or C. He's saying, this is how I live. This is the practical way that he had chosen to live. And so he's encouraging the church to take this up also. He's encouraging us to take this up also. Because here's somebody that's already been through these things. Here's somebody that's seen these things. Here's somebody that's lived through these things. And he had to make a decision to live in the love of God by faith. He had to make that decision and to see things that way. And so he's encouraging us to do the same. And to me, it always means something more to me when somebody's been through something. And then they tell me. It always means more to me when somebody has faced it, they've seen it, they've been through it, and this is how they dealt with it and this is what they did. That means a lot more to me than somebody that's just got an idea about it. 
Just got a theory about it. I remember before I was uh, I'd gotten married, I was asked to uh, do some counseling because I was part of a church staff. And so I was in, in the counseling I was supposed to do was some marriage counseling. And so here I am, a single guy, meeting with a married couple to counsel them about marriage. Now, I'm at a distinct disadvantage. <laughs> right? Because I've never been married. And so, while I understand what's supposed to happen, and I understand what the Bible says about it, and I understand what needs to happen in reconciliation and forgiveness and all the things that needed to happen in that relationship, and I could speak to those things, I was at a distinct disadvantage because I had never lived those things in that kind of a relationship. And I'm just as biased as anybody else. I want somebody who's walked in those shoes. I do. And that's why when Paul says this, you got somebody that walked in those shoes. How do we know that? Let's look uh, just real quick. 2 Corinthians 6 4. Somebody look at that. And then I need somebody else. 2 Corinthians 11 23. 2 Corinthians 6 4, 2 Corinthians 11 23. Alright, eleven twenty-three. Are these servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman, far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Alright. So just a couple examples uh from his second letter to the Corinthians about some of the stuff that Paul's been through. If you read the book of Acts, you can see other examples and, and accounts of things that he had gone through. Uh, he describes in some places how he was uh, has, had received the 39 lashes numerous times. He'd been beaten with rods, uh, which was a rather unpleasant experience. He had been stoned to death, at least left for dead. He wasn't dead, but he was left for dead after being stoned. He'd been shipwrecked. I mean, all these things. I mean, how many times had he been in prison? And so here he was, and... He's making a, a description to the Romans. He's like, all right, well, this is how you need to live when you face these things. Well, he can say that. He can say that because he's faced them. He can say that because he's been through it. And, and I think it behooves us to listen to somebody who's been through it, giving us a perspective on how to live. So he quotes a verse here from Psalm 44. Uh, Psalm 44 and verse 22. Somebody want to read that? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. All right, 
So he quotes that in this passage in Romans, and I, I want you to think about that being seen as sheep to be slaughtered. Is that uh, being held in high esteem? No. In fact, that's pretty low esteem. And in fact, in the economy of their day, that would not be something that we look at and say, all right, well, these people have any respect for me whatsoever, because they don't. And so he's looking at and he's describing a situation of this is the way other people see you. They see you as almost worthless. So if other people see you as almost worthless, does God still love you? Yeah. Yeah, his love isn't affected by the way other people see you. And that's true of all kinds of ways that people see us. His love is not affected by that. His love isn't affected by our perceptions of our circumstance. And his love is not affected by the perceptions of others toward us. Those are not things that matter to his love. And so we can count on his love regardless of our perception or the way other people see us. We can still count on his love because he chooses to love us. And so it becomes a matter of faith for us to take hold of that and to actually live in it regardless of our circumstance. It takes faith for us to take hold of that love and live in it regardless of the way people see us. And I'm kind of getting somewhere here and I hope you can stay with me just for a couple more minutes, but it is this idea that his love transcends our circumstance. His love transcends the people around us and their opinions. His love transcends the way that we even see ourselves. And and some of us have been brought up to see ourselves pretty lowly. They were pretty convinced of that. I mean, you get brainwashed of that when you're a kid and you got somebody that, that care, you care about telling you that you're nothing. And when someone tells you that enough times and they just continually will say that and back it up and keep telling you that and keep telling you that, eventually you believe it. And they may not have said that just directly to you, you're nothing, but the way they treated you, they treated you like you weren't even there. Well, that's the same as saying you're nothing. And eventually you begin to believe that. But regardless of whether you believe that about yourself, you don't believe that, does that affect the love of God over your life? The answer is no. So not even what you believe about yourself affects His love for you. And the reason I'm, I'm going through all of these situations, these circumstances, is because I want you to understand that His love for you transcends whatever you think and whatever you feel and whatever you sense around you, whatever other people say about you, even it transcends that which you think about yourself. That's how big His love is for you. That's how huge it is. And if you could just get a hold of that, I mean just really get a hold of, that's how much He loves you. That could be life transforming to know someone loves you that much. To know someone cares about you that much. That has an unconditional, laid out, declared love for you that goes beyond every circumstance, beyond every situation, and beyond every opinion. That that's how much He loves you. That's why Paul could say he felt safe. 
That's why Paul could have supreme confidence in his safety, regardless of his circumstance. Because he was secure in the love that God had for him. He's secure in the love that Jesus has for him. And so regardless of what he feels and regardless of what other people are saying, that love is constant and that love is real and that love is powerful. And so you think about all the things that were mentioned. You got all the stuff like dangers and hunger and and uh, and destitution and persecution and calamity and trouble and even death. You know, all those things. You look at all of those situations, all of those circumstances, all these things. And I'm going to make a statement here. And some of you are going to be like, well, of course. And some of you are going to be like, what? All those things I just mentioned, every one of them. None are tokens of God's wrath. None. You got to grow up. You got to grow up. You got to leave behind Santa Claus and Christmas and grow up into a faith of a God who loves you, cares for you, wants the best for you, and transcends whatever it is you're going through. You see, living your life in such a way that when good things happen, God likes you, and when bad things happen, God hates you, is like three years old. It's, it's childish. Because that's not the God we serve. It's just childish. And we need to grow up. I mean, we got this idea. It's like, we got Santa. Well, Santa isn't God. You know, and, and Santa's looking over your shoulder. He's making a list and checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. And if you're good, he gives you presents. And if you're bad, he leaves you a lump of coal. That's Santa. That's not God. And I know that sounds crazy. But I really think you should think about that for a second. Because all the things I mentioned here that Paul had gone through, all the things that the apostles were going through, all the things that the church was going through, those were, none of those things were tokens of God's wrath toward his people. Not one of them. And Paul was really clear about that. He's like, this had nothing to do with that. You're going to face persecution and you're going to face troubles and you're going to face things that are going to happen in your life. And there's going to be pressures and there's going to be times where you feel alone and there's going to be times where you feel helpless. There's going to be times where you don't know what to do and you're going to be perplexed and there's going to be times that all these things are going to happen, but none of those things are tokens of God's wrath in your life. And we need to grow into that. All of us need to grow into that. If we can't somehow get a hold of this, we're never going to live abundantly. Because the only way to live abundantly is to live beyond your circumstances. The only way to live abundantly 
is to be able to live no matter what happens or what comes your way. The only way to live abundantly is to be able to live no matter what other people say about you or what other people think about you. The only way to really live abundantly is to find yourself, your security, in the fact that God is loving you no matter what. Because He chooses to. Because He just chooses to. And so Paul comes out with this statement. He's like, alright, so you got nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. So what does he equate the love of Jesus with in your life? That is your victorious. So he makes the statement, you cannot, you, you can't be separated from the love of God in your life. So what does that mean for you? What does the love of God mean for your life? It means that you're victorious. That's what it means. That's what it means. That we are abundant gainers, not just not losing. Okay, that, that word uh, victorious there, uh, some of you would have, we are more than conquerors. Is that, it might, says that in your Bible somewhere. Some of you would say that. Because the word there is, is really not just victorious. Like you look at it and it's like, okay, it's victorious. Yes, we can understand that word. It's more than that. It's like, it's like we are abundant abundantly gaining. In other words, not just getting by, not just winning. Alright? We're abundantly above and beyond victory. It's like ridiculous victory. It's like running up the score kind of victory. Like not even trying anymore and having the bench warmers in kind of victory. That's what he's saying. That if you can figure it out, and I'm going to say figure it out only in this way. That you decide and you make a decision, all right, I'm going to start living in faith in the love that God has for me. Regardless of my circumstances, regardless of what I'm seeing, regardless of what people say about me, I'm going to live in the love that God has for me. If you can do that, you're going to be more than victorious. Because the circumstances aren't going to seem as bad. The situations aren't going to seem as hopeless. What people say just isn't going to matter that much anymore. And you're going to learn to live a victorious life. And so Paul say, does that mean the persecution is going to stop in Rome? No, it doesn't. But they can live victoriously. More than just victory, super abundant victory even in the midst of the persecution. Does that mean nothing bad is ever going to happen to them? Nope. They're going to be chased from town to town, but they can live victoriously, super abundantly victoriously, even while they're being chased from town to town. And that's what he's trying to tell them. That's what he's trying to say. So we look at 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.13. 2 Timothy 2.13. Okay. Second Timothy two thirteen. Excellent. Read it again. Alright. So this verse, what it talks about is this idea that what is it based on? What's his faithfulness based on? The fact that you're faithful? 
Is that what it's based on? What does that verse tell you? No. No. In fact, it, it tells you the exact opposite of that. He's faithful because he's faithful. Because he's chosen to be faithful and he will not disown himself, which is you. And so what he's trying, what I believe the writer's trying to say, and what Paul's saying to Timothy, and what he's trying to say to us here in Romans, is that we, as long as you think somewhere deep down inside that it all depends on you, you're always going to fail. But when you can let go of that idea, and you can let go of the fact that you're not going to earn his love, you can let go of the fact that you're not going to somehow gin up his love, you're not going to be able to somehow figure it out and make sure he loves you more, you can't do it. Once you kind of figure that out and you accept that fact and you understand that and understand the fact that he's not going to disown you because you're unfaithful. Well, he already knows you're unfaithful, at least in some ways. And he still loves you. Before you even knew him, he loved you. Before you even knew God, he loved you. Before you ever decided that you were going to live for him, he loved you. When you were just doing whatever you want to do, ignoring him, forgetting about him, not caring about him, not one bit, he still loved you. And I don't know how, if you can figure that part out and you can accept that, well then, I, I believe it helps to begin to look at it and say, all right, well, what about my circumstance? Well, he still loves you. What about my situation that I'm in? Well, he still loves me. Well, what happens when I, when I feel like i got nowhere to turn? He still loves me. What happens when I'm overwhelmed? He still loves me. What happens when I don't know what to say? He still loves me. And there's a victory in that. There's a victory in not being tossed about by every wave. There's a victory by not being run over by every circumstance. There's a victory in being able to stand and just be who we are no matter what comes our way. In fact, the Bible describes that as over-victorious. Right? That word. It's like, it, it, we don't really have a word for it. It's just victory Plus, over-victorious. It's over-victorious, yeah. Not just sufficient. It's not just sufficient to get by. It's more. Now, you think about victory, you could score one more point and you're victorious, right? That's not what this is talking about. It's not just getting by. That's why there's like this compound word to it. It's like, it's not, we're not just scoring one more point to get by. We're over victorious. In other words, not just sufficient, but big win. Big. It's more through Jesus. The Bible says that when we're weak, what happens? Yeah. Strength is made perfect in us through our weakness. And that's from Second um, Corinthians twelve nineteen. If you want to look that up later, so let me look at First Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. First Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. Got a few more verses to get through. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So if I look at, um, no, that's good. All right, so the victory is through whom? Jesus. Right. So so that makes sense to what we're talking about. Because where I say the victory is, is that it's in His love for us. All right? So it's us, it's us living in that love, finding rest, finding peace, finding uh, strength in that love. All right? And so there's victory in that. So who gives us victory? Jesus does. How? Through love. Love, and, and I know this is really hard to understand for us because we live in a culture that doesn't really think this way. I don't know any culture that really thinks this way, but I want you to consider that love is the biggest and the strongest. Of what? Anything. It's bigger and stronger than anything. It's not by might. It's not, it's not by strength. Love is bigger and love is stronger. And and that has to be part of that definition. The fact that He loves us is bigger and stronger than the circumstances that we face. The fact that He loves us is bigger and stronger than the way that we even see ourselves. The fact that He loves us is bigger and stronger than the way that other people see us. Our victory is through Him and by His love because it's just bigger and stronger. A couple more verses. Philippians 4.13. Yeah. Paul's making a statement. That's a faith statement, right? That's a declaration. But Paul knew, Paul lived in, and Paul understood that Jesus loves him. He loves him. And love is stronger. Love is stronger than what? Everything. What can separate us from the love? Nothing. Who can separate us from that love? Nobody. It's stronger than everything else. Everything. Everything that you'll ever face in your life. Anything that will ever come your way. Any circumstance. Any situation. Any person. The love of God is stronger than all of those things. How do you know that? Because nothing and no one can separate you from that love. That means it's the strongest thing. It's the most resilient. It's the strongest. It's the most powerful. Nothing can separate you from that. Nothing. Let's keep going. 2 Corinthians 5.14 2 Corinthians 5.14. So what's the motivator? The compelling factor? The love. Ephesians 3.19. All right. Here's an idea I want to leave you with. The enemies of love are weak. The enemies of love are weak. Why do I say that? Because nothing can separate you from His love. They are by definition 
weaker. So the enemies of love, the love of God, are weak. And the victory of love is abundant. That's why you need to find yourself in it. The enemies of love are weak. The victory of love is abundant. So we need to find ourselves in that. One way or another. Because that's where victory is. That's where the seat of the enemy is. That's where life is. That's where joy is. That's where peace is. That's where overcoming is. That's where overabundant victory is. It's in that love. Because it's the strongest. But if that love is a roller coaster, that's not strong at all. If that love is like the tide and it ebbs and flows in your life, then it's not strong at all. It has to be constant. Because that's exactly what it is. And we need to see it as constant because that's the truth of it. It's not some form that we're making up. It's not some thing that we just make it whatever we want it to be. He's declared it. He's defined it. He said this is what it is. We need to apprehend that by faith. And so I want to encourage you toward that tonight. We're going to take a few moments. And in these few moments, I just want to encourage you to take hold of that kind of love tonight. And I mean just own it for yourself. I don't particularly feel lovey-dovey tonight. I'm just telling you. That doesn't mean God doesn't love me wholeheartedly. And that doesn't affect His love for me wholeheartedly. And I believe with my whole heart that He loves me like that. whether I feel it or I don't. Heavenly Father, I just ask that we would take hold of your love tonight. We find ourselves in the midst of your love. God, I thank you that your love is stronger, more powerful, undefeated, world champion, of anything that's ever come the way of your people. I just ask that you'd open up our spiritual eyes and our hearts and our minds. And I just ask you that you just fill us with your love fill us. And for some of us, I, I'd ask tonight that it just be a manifestation of freedom in our life. A manifestation of liberty. Maybe a manifestation of peace. A manifestation of joy. A manifestation of provision. A manifestation of healing.
Maybe as we lay our head down tonight, a manifestation of sleep and rest. God, I pray that we find your love tonight. That we take hold of that love. That we would apprehend that love by faith. And maybe we're going to feel it, but maybe not. Maybe we're going to see it somehow, but maybe not. But it's real. It's powerful. Maybe we thanks for it. And it's undefeated. Just take a moment. See if you can take hold of that love tonight. I wish I could just make you do it, but I can't. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for caring for us. Thanks for loving us before we loved you. Thanks for loving us even when we don't love you. Thanks for loving us just because you choose to. receiving that. I just pray that we find that overwhelming sense of safety that Paul had and rest and peace in the midst of that love. Give you thanks tonight. Continue that revelation in us. Let's pray God more and more every day. We just take hold of more and more of your love. We receive you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. So we say amen. 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 God bless you. Good to see you tonight. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah. <laughs>